Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 7 of Out with Susie Ruffle. I hope that you're having a good week. Mine's been pretty good. I've been uh, doing some work, which has been really exciting. I've done a couple of socially distanced gigs. Uh, it's felt really nice to be back on stage making people laugh. I didn't realise how much I enjoyed it or how much I was defined by stand-up. I always sort of thought, oh, I'm not defined by being a comedian. Turns out I absolutely am. But I've been loving it. I've been loving getting back to doing what I love and writing new material. Um, and also, of course, reading all the emails I've been getting uh, from everyone that's emailed in to say that they're enjoying the podcast or to share their stories with me. Do remember that you can do that too. The email is hello at com. Honestly, it just gives me such joy when I hear from you. And I'm so pleased that this podcast is um, is meaning so much to so many people. It's really blown me away and I feel very humbled by it. As ever... I will share a couple of emails at the top before our interview today, which is with the brilliant Laura Checkley, who I absolutely love. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. I loved chatting to her. Um, but first of all, let's start with a couple of emails. Dear Susie, I apologise in advance for the random rambling nature of this email. Firstly, I would like to say thank you for doing the podcast. I found it a couple of weeks ago and have binge listened to it. I can honestly say it's changed my life. I heard you read out stories from listeners who have come to terms with their sexuality and found peace. And I thought maybe you'd like to hear from someone who's still in the middle of working things out. At 35, I find myself maybe finally dealing with the issues I've had for the last 20 years and never fully addressed. I've had depression since I was 14 or 15. I have various cycles of bad times and a combination of medication and talking therapies. My main issues related to not liking myself, thinking that I'm a horrible person and feeling like a failure for not doing what I was supposed to be doing by dating, getting married, having kids, etc. I have a scientific mind and felt constantly frustrated that I could never put a finger on what exactly caused my depression. Running alongside this has been my sexuality. When I was little, friends would talk about the boys in school or the boy band members who they had a crush on and thought were cute. I never thought any of them were, but pretended some and said that I wasn't into boy bands and I preferred indie music and bands. Definitely true from my musical point of view, but also a handy excuse. I can't remember finding girls attractive and having crushes on them, but I'm not sure it would have occurred to me. I started school in 1989 and finished my A-levels in 2003, so pretty much the duration of Section 28. I have to admit, I wasn't aware of Section 28 until I started listening to your podcast, but it explains so much. I've always known I had a tendency to get drunk and kiss girls, and at uni I met up with a girl a couple of times, and we didn't do more than kissing, but it felt natural and exciting. However, I've only really dated boys, and very unsuccessfully at that. Last year I saw a guy for a few weeks and we got on amazingly well in some respects, but I had absolutely no desire to have sex with him, and the thought of it almost scared me. As I've done in the past, I put it down to me not having confidence, not being sexually experienced, and being a freak, because I didn't want to have sex. Cue all my negative feelings coming back and me feeling like a failure. I'm currently being seen by a local mental health team following a significant bout of depression and needing time off work. I was seeing someone and we were working through some self-esteem issues and then I found your podcast. Listening to all your guests and listener stories have been amazing and made me rethink everything that's happened in my life. I feel like I've spent my entire life not being free or being myself for fear of being judged or made fun of. The few people I have been my true self to, I don't really like that phrase but I can't think of anything better, have been the people I've met whilst backpacking and travelling so I always had the security of knowing they were short-term friendships. Interestingly, they were often male and guessed or assumed I was gay. 
I had already decided to try dating girls before I found your podcast. And I thought when I didn't necessarily need to come out to friends and family until I met someone and started dating them. Hearing others' stories, I now think opening up and saying the words, I'm gay, feels like a weight lifted from my chest. So far, the only person I've said this to is my therapist when we had a review meeting. And it feels like I'm finally making progress. I am now also being referred to a different counselling service and I have my first appointment next week. I still have things to work through though and self-esteem and depression isn't going to go away overnight. But I'm hopeful things will work out and I'm ready to be honest and open with someone for the first possible time, even if that person is a professional. Without your podcast, I honestly don't think I could have come to the realisation that I need to address my sexuality and be comfortable with that before I can work out my other issues. I need to be comfortable with who I am before I can be that with others. The thought of coming out is pretty scary, but it's something I want and need to do. And now I feel I have the courage. This courage has been greatly influenced by your podcast. I also want to say thank you for the TV recommendations. This afternoon I watched all the episodes of Feel Good while my sore, stiff muscles were recovering from hiking and scrambling yesterday. I can't believe the length of this email and I feel like I've left out so much additional information. Thank you so much once again for your podcast and I look forward to many more series. Um, Your email really moved me this week. I'm so delighted that this podcast has been there for you and a friend for you and helped you realise how normal you are and how normal it is to be gay. Um, I totally understand those feelings of anxiety and low self-esteem and I'm sure so many of our listeners will feel similar and I know that so many of the people that I've spoken to on the show have had those similar feelings too so please don't feel alone in that. Um, I think, I mean I hate the word normal but I think it's often very normal feelings for people that are, are dealing with something like their sexuality so thank you for reaching out and I hope that you enjoyed today's episode and um, yeah your your email gave me a, a massive cuddle and reminded me why I'm doing it and why at the moment I'm sat in my tiny little cupboard uh, recording something on a Saturday morning when my voice sounds very tired but I'm so pleased that, um, that it's here and I'm so pleased that it means so much to you. Um, I also have another email here from an ally. Dear Susie, my name is William and I wanted to email you to say what a great podcast you have. I'm a straight 41 year old man and I love the guests you've had on your show. The stories at the beginning of your show are all grey and everyone from the LGBTQIA community should never be afraid or scared to be who they are and I think your show helps with that. I'm an ex-rugby player and I coach an under-15s rugby team. One person you need to get on your show is a hero of mine and one of the greatest rugby referees around. And this autumn he's set to make his 100th appearance as a referee. That's someone called Nigel Owen. He's gay and he had a difficult time coming to terms with his sexuality when he was younger. If you could get him on, it would be great because I know it would help so many young boys and girls with their sexuality, especially if they're gay. Uh, William, I've heard about Nigel Owen before and he has been recommended to me and so I'm going to reach out today and see if I can find a way. I don't know how to reach out to a rugby referee, but I'm going to find a way to reach out to him and uh, he would be an incredible guest. I totally agree and I'll do everything I can to get him on series three of the podcast. Thank you to those of you that emailed in. I mentioned the email at the top of the show, but it's hello at outwithsusieruffer.com. Also, thank you to all of the people that have sent me messages or given me reviews on various podcast apps. Thank you to those of you that have tweeted or Instagrammed about the show. Just so you know, I see all of them and it really, really means a lot to me. Uh, this podcast is such a passion project. I'm just I'm just so pleased it's reaching people and 
in that I've got to say um, a thank you to Keep It Like Media who support the podcast and mean that I can do it and then they look after the costs for me which means uh, while this podcast isn't uh, making loads and loads of money it does mean that I can do it for free uh, and they support it so thank you to the team there and especially my editor Michael. So let's get on with today's show. Uh, today's interview is with the wonderful Laura Checkley. If you're not aware of her, she is a fantastic comedy actress who I have loved for a really long time. She's in In My Skin, which is Kaylee Llewellyn's TV series. If you haven't watched that, I highly recommend it. Kaylee was on first series. She's one of my really good friends. And it was a joy to speak to Laura about her career, about coming out, about how she found her place in the world. And I think this is a pretty special episode. I couldn't believe how many similarities we had. Laura and I had never met before, but we, we have become friends now. We have a really, really similar coming out story and growing up story, and I really hope that all of you enjoy it. Uh, have a fantastic week. Here is my interview with the brilliant Laura Checkley. Hello, everyone. Today's guest is very talented and very, very funny, Laura Checkley. Now, you might have seen her in In My Skin, BBC One sitcom King Gary, The Detectorists, Action Team, or from the film Military Wives. I love everything that she's in. I love watching her on things. There's a warmth and a presence that she always brings to the screen that has likability and honesty and humour, and I just think that she is brilliant, and I know that she's going to be someone that we talk about uh, in years to come as one of the great British actresses. So I'm really excited to have her on the show today. I think she's brilliant. I know you will too. Welcome to the show, Laura. Oh my God. Can I have you with me on every audition? And can you announce that as I come into every room? I think that's like the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me. Well, I think it's true. I've been watching lots of your stuff this week because that's what I always do. And I'd seen lots of it already, but I do think you bring this authenticity to the screen that I think is quite rare. Yeah, I've, it's funny, isn't it? Because I just think I pull loads of faces, and, <laughs> which I do do that as well. But so when people do say that there's a truth behind it, because I do really big characters, you know, mm. I'm, I'm a big comedy actress. It's what I do. Um, you know, I used to sit in the mirror when I was a kid pulling faces, trying to be like Jim Carrey, like I was obsessed with him. And I just, that's, you know, and I feel like I've just made a career out of pulling loads of faces. But it's nice to, to know that they're coming across genuine. And I mean, don't knock him. I've made a career out of doing my mum's voice. I mean, don't worry. <laughs> Just make your career where you can. Yeah, I've played loads of characters that are based on my mum. Have you? Yeah, I did a character in this country. Yes. Uh, and that is just basically my mum. Really? Obviously, my mum doesn't sell Tupperware. The character sold Tupperware, um, but she. But yeah, I've got I've got loads of characters. I've had yeah, she's kind of like a go to. She doesn't know that, though. Right, yeah, that's good to keep that to yourself, maybe. (laughs) Do you, um, so where else did you grow up? I grew up in, well, I was born in Bracknell, and then we moved when I was really young. My mum split up with my biological dad, and we moved to Hounslow. And um, my mum met my stepdad when I was, like, three, so we moved to Hounslow. So I grew up in Hounslow, really. I don't really remember Bracknell at all. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and then... When I was a teenager, when I was about 15, we moved to Chiswick. And then I spent a couple of years there before I then went to drama school. Yeah. So but so London, for those yeah. that, are, yeah. that are, are not from here, sort of different Hounslow's parts. like on the way to Heathrow. Yes. It's kind of a bit 
it's a bit transient. People just sort of pass through it. And, you know, you're often cast in sort of quite working class roles. And I know that you've sort of said before that you sort of consider yourself to be a working class actress. Did you grow up in a very sort of working class household? Yeah, very. My mum, you know, my mum was uh, a secretary her whole life. Mm -hmm. And um, my stepdad was in the army. So quite a sort of strict upbringing. And then he became like a bodyguard and um, he's, he's had a really interesting life. But yeah, we very, very working class uh, background. Um, all my family are from London, born and bred, Shepherd's Bush, Notting Hill way, which, by the way, back then weren't so posh. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we've I, I didn't grow up knowing any actors. I didn't know really what acting was. I just was just a bit of a show off. And I used to love playing sports and I, I, I was sort of, competitive and I knew I wanted to do something and I knew I knew I didn't want to stay in Hounslow my whole life I absolutely knew that um and it was only when I stumbled upon a dance school a girl in my estate we were out playing football one day and she was like oh there's a dance school around the corner I'm gonna go to it do you fancy and I had to beg my mum to go because she was like god not another thing so went there how old were you at this point um like 10 um, and it ended up being Bonnie Lankford's mum's dance school. Oh, my God. <laughs> Name dropping so early. Um, yeah, and, and and back then, Bonnie was like, I just, well, she's always been a bit of a household name, but, like, I didn't know anything. I just turned up and I had a really wide accent, like proper hands low kind of girl. Mm-hmm. And th- there were a lot of privately educated uh, girls and boys there and and everyone was really posh that's just what I remember I'm just feeling totally out of my comfort zone and but my, and my mate who joined with me she she buggered off after a couple of weeks because she couldn't bear it and I sort of stayed put because I thought oh I like it here there's something could happen here and what sort of dancing were you doing was it like tap ballet modern well, yeah a little bit of jazz we never learned the technique sure. it, was always, you know, it was always like from the top up look good and it was it, and we all had like curly hair like Bonnie used to when she was a youngster it was we were all like mini Bonnies like just giving it large and, and a lot of face a lot of teeth a lot of face a lot of teeth and it didn't really matter what was going on down there you know that's my overriding memory of dance school as a kid is the teacher going face 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 yeah just smile yeah that's all we used to have a smile and just going for it 150 percent and I I spent sort of six years there really and is that where you thought okay this could be my way out of Hounslow this could be the exciting thing that I want to do definitely because there were kids there that were going to like Sylvia Young stage school and and they were doing stuff and one of my best friends now she's still my best friend she um she was on telly loads as youngsters growing up and I just remember thinking wow she's famous oh I recognize her I just it was just it was just pure luck that I went to that dance school and they sort of I ended up sort of leading two lives really because I was there trying to be something I wasn't desperately trying to be posh and not sounding posh at all. And then I'd go to Hounslow and be all like, all right, that again, you know, just to fit in. And I, 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 I was like two separate people really growing up. And then with all the sexuality thrown into it, it was, it was, uh, yeah, I think that's probably where I learned to act because I was acting a certain way at school to survive because it was a really rough school. Um, not many people have come out of that school and done brilliantly. You know, it was, it's, it's not a particularly great education going to that school so it didn't feel super hopeful no I had football and that's sort mm-hmm. of how I survived school really 
So at this point, did you know you were funny? Could have you always been able to make people laugh? Yeah, right from a young age. My mum said I used to watch French and Saunders just glued to the telly Mm. um, and obsessed with Victoria Wood and French. And I just used to do impressions of them all the time. When they did Girls on Top, which was in the 80s, I just used to do impressions of Ruby Wax and Jennifer Saunders. And and yeah, my mum said she'd catch me like we sat on a coach once. I think I was like four or five. We sat on a coach going to my nan's. Uh, It was just before we'd moved from Bracknell because we used to get the coach. And my mum said I was sat there shaking. And looking over at this lady, and it was like, um, she said, it's an older lady, sort of in her 80s, and she must have had Parkinson's or something. She was just shaking. And I was mimicking her. And my mum said, she'll never forget that. She said, you just were obsessed with observing people and mimicking them. And I used to do a wicked impression of Margaret Thatcher and <laughs> I used to stand at the top of my nan's stairs and do Margaret Thatcher. And and that, that's how I, I remember as a kid, just Christmases, they go, Laura, come, you know, and I'd do a song and a dance and I'd I'd do impressions and, and yeah, and everyone would encourage it. I, I was the youngest of four, so I was a bit of a gobshite, really. I was really confident. And, <laughs> but football was a massive part of my survival I would say in Hounslow so what team did you support I support Liverpool because my stepdad's a scouser um, right okay but my biological dad supported QPR and so it was like when you're growing up you know it's like well I'm not going to pick QPR let's pick the the team that actually wins something yes and my brother started supporting Liverpool and I think broke my real dad's heart really but um yeah Liverpool is who I've always supported at, at, at Hounslow Manor where I went to school um, they had quite a good PE department and I, I loved PE. I, that's where I felt alive, really. And also I think I kept out of trouble and I stayed, I was mates with everyone because I played football at lunch. I didn't get mm-hmm. involved in the drama with the girls. And I was just that girl who was a bit of a tomboy. And then I'd just go out with boys every three or four months. So no one would sort of start asking me questions. That was how I survived. Right. So do you remember your first crush? Yeah, I was quite late on with crushes. Um, Were you too busy dancing and playing football, mate? You got a lot on, haven't you? Not no surprise. Got a lot on. I, I was when I was growing up in like primary school. I was like, you know, I had all this blonde hair, a little thing. I was, and I'd always. My mum said, "Joy's had a boyfriend," but I think they just looked good on my arm. So, and it was always, always just because that's what you did. And bearing in mind, like I'm, I'm forty. So when I was at school, we didn't know anyone gay. I mean, there might have been one gay fella that may have been at a party of my families at some point and, <laughs> and all the men were saying backs to the walls you know and it was just yeah. that's the sort of that's a, that's how I grew up I didn't know what gay was so mm. I sort of like had this gorgeous boyfriend in primary school and he was now looking back he was really sort of pretty looking he, and his mum was a hairdresser and he always had like this quaffed hair and I always thought he was amazing he was really good at football as well he's kind of like the star of our school and we sort of went out and we were like that popular girl and boy and I remember my mum got called in. It was right at the end of the prime school because we wouldn't stop kissing in the playground. I know. That's mad, isn't it? And so... Scandalous. Yeah. I don't recall being pre-sort of 10 thinking about it. I just sort of did it. I do remember because I was thinking about this, obviously, with this podcast in mind. And I remember going on holiday with my dad, my bi- biological dad. We went to America and I remember being desperate. I don't know if you if you ever felt like this when you were a kid, but I remember being desperate to just wear shorts around the pool. I didn't want to wear a swimming costume and I certainly didn't want one of those terrible little bikini things. But it was like, I just was desperate. And that was the one good thing about my biological dad is he sort of, he encouraged the football and he would let me run around the pool 
with just my shorts mm. on. I was so desperate to be like the boys for for a while. We spent weekends with my dad and it was always sport. And he was a referee on a Sunday for a Sunday league right. team. So he kind of brought me into the world of football. And yeah, well, I just grew up around sports and felt very at home. And there were other girls that were like me, tomboyish and yeah. could kick a ball and weren't really interested in anyone, boys or girls. You know, we just yeah. loved our sport. And so when you were at sort of secondary school, was it when you were at secondary school that you were doing your sort of, your, your dance club as well? Were you doing drama then as well? Yeah, I did drama at school. Um, yeah. I always thought I always thought it was a bit rubbish at school. I, I was always a bit frustrated, like, mm, they don't get it because I'm at dance school and they do it properly there, you see. Bonnie, Bonnie and Babette do it properly. Um, we, I was doing a lot of shows, like... I was in a I was in Piccadilly Panto when I was ten with Scylla Black. We were like what <gasps> some of the kids. So we used to be doing like oh pantos, God. yeah, at Christmas. So I, I was shown a world and I was like, I really like this. This is really similar. I never I never trod the boards with Scylla. Um I'm embarrassed to say. But um I like, I thought it was so much more important than school. Yeah. I couldn't believe how hard people were working for their GCSEs. Because no. I was like I'm doing Copacabana and me and my girl this year. I've got a busy year already. I, know. <laughs> I don't know the end of Act One right now, let alone <laughs> science, huh? No, I didn't. Re- <laughs> I didn't revise. I knew I needed to get my drama and my English. But when I was at dance school, I was told about this place called the Brit School, which is like a non-fee paying, like the only non-fee paying performing arts college, I believe, around. So someone had said to me, they obviously knew we were a bit poor, and said, "Oh, yeah, why don't you go there, darling?" Um, so I auditioned there and got got in and I knew that I had to get five GCSEs A to C. So I knew that a year before and that's I thought, right, what am I good at? and What can I aim towards? And I, I got me English, got my French. And then I knew I was terrible at science and maths and I just oh, fucked it off. I was like, oh, I'm just going to concentrate on this and get my five GCSEs so I can get into the Brit school. That was it. I had very similar mindset. <laughs> I know. Really similar mindset. You, you said before, like being two people going to your dance club and then going to school and being this posh version and then this house like girl and then your sexuality thrown all into that. When do you think you became aware of like not really sort of beyond that sort of first crush sort of childlike stage, like maybe when you were like, oh, no, I think this might be I think I might not be straight. So I remember you'll probably remember this. Do you remember when uh, Anna Frail, Beth Jordash kissed the first lesbian kiss on Bre- Brookside? On Brookside, yeah. Which was like, I think it was like 94, was it, or something like that. And so I would have been about 14 and I remember watching that over and over <laughs> and over again. Like the feelings I got, I thought, oh no, oh no. And pre that, I definitely knew it was as as I hit puberty, I I, I I knew then I didn't really like boys. I was like, ugh. When it when it got beyond the kissing stage and everyone was starting mm. to talk about, you know, all the other stuff, I was like, oh no, I don't want to do this. I don't like it. I don't like it. It just suddenly got very real for me. And then and then all I just think I developed a bit later than some, just because I was so preoccupied with the dancing and the football and the mm. everything, you know. And then I saw that and I never forget the feeling in my tummy, the knot and the nerves and I just thought, oh, no, oh, no. And I, I I tried to push it aside and then sort of I remember that year or a year later, this girl come in to do TIE at our school and I must have been literally 15 and I knew exactly 
exactly where she was at all times. I knew her timetable better than my own. Like <laughs> I would, t- I would literally like just hang outside the door, and she'd come out and just to go, "Hi, Miss," and she'd be gone. <laughs> it was like I was totally obsessed with her, and and then I just, you know, you as you do, you just convince yourself, oh, it's just because I want to be like her. She's really cool. She's an actress. That's exactly what I want to do. So it's just that. Ignore it, Laura. Ignore it. And that's it. All I did was just kept ignoring it until I met. This girl at another Amdram, um, and she was uh, she was bisexual, and I was like, "What is this? You know, what is bisexual? <laughs> you know?" And um, I remember just thinking she was really cool, and we, yeah, and and one night it was like I, I think I must have been about eighteen, nineteen. It was just before I went to drama school, and we kissed, and it blew me out of the water, and I was like, "Oh, that's how you're supposed to feel." But I'd waited all right. that time, and and gone out with boys and had sex with boys and was having a terrible time. But when we were growing up, when we were teenagers, everyone was having terrible sex. Like you talk to your girlfriends and like, oh yeah, it's just really hurting and it's horrible. And it's like, I don't like it. And I'm like, well, that's good. I don't like it either. Okay. Then. Then I guess that's normal. Yeah. I just never grew up sort of having crushes on friends. Um, mm-hmm. Always teachers or people that are in uh, sort of authoritative positions. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> The local copper, yeah, yeah. The lady of the butchers, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, and then obviously when I had my first kiss, that's when I knew. But I, I held it, yeah, I held it in for, like, her her and I sort of were seeing each other in secret for a whole summer before I went to drama school. And then uh, when I went to drama school, I told her that I wasn't gay and that was that and to leave me alone. And Oh, my God, I did this. Did you? I did the same thing. When I went to drama school, I was like, I can't be a lesbian and be and no. be an actress. You can't be both. No. So I'm going to be an actress. One hundred percent, and certainly because <gasps> I went to train in musical theatre as well, and there are just sure. there were anyway zero lesbians. Obviously, you meet loads of gay guys. It's fantastic. Suddenly, you're like, oh, my crowd, sort of. But yeah, I, I just I was I was quite ruthless with her. I really cut her off. I just said to her, like, you know, just stop calling me that's it like I'm not gay just deal with it and she was totally broken hearted and I was so mean to her but we met we met years later actually after I'd come out and I apologized to her because I just said I was dreadful I'm so sorry I was terrified I think that I think lots of us have those stories where you just sort of go I can't I, I, I can't do this are you certainly when you're young sort of making those sort of decisions where you go I'm going to decide to not be gay because that's that'll be much easier yeah so I'm going to decide so when you went to, where did you train? I went to Mountview, which is oh, in North good. London. Yeah, yeah. Um, really big, really great musical theatre school. And I kind of, I always, I wanted to go to RADA really because I come out of Brit School and I auditioned for RADA and they sort of said, come back next year, you're brilliant, but you're a bit young. Um, and I was very overexcited. Like, I was just so, I, I was such a show-off growing up. Like I was just such, um, I think, you know, just like everything, I just wanted to make people laugh, wanted to be liked and um, Mm -hmm. I just think it's just a deflection, isn't it, of your sexuality, just like, I feel like when I came out, I stopped showing off. (laughs) Like I show off in my job, but um, Mm -hmm. I feel like the minute I come out, I just calm down and stop showing off and stop trying to make people laugh and stop trying to make people desperately like me. Um, But yes, I went to Mountview and I I did musical theatre, but I didn't really want to do it. I remember at the end of my first year going to my, head of course and saying I think I'm in the wrong world here I want to act and he was like but you're brilliant you can sing you can dance I could sing and dance because that's what I grew up doing but it wasn't where my heart was and I so I just sort of made a decision in my head oh well I'll just sort of make people laugh through musical comedy and that's sort of what I did for about 
six or seven years out of drama school just sort of started doing musical comedies and then got oh, sick right. of it yeah what sort of thing oh, things like Greece uh, yeah. I did by Jeeves um I was always <laughs> understudying older women just right, loads yeah. of sort of I did a cabaret and I played Fraulein Cost and she's like the prostitute she's kind of like uh, yeah she's kind of like the comical term but she turns nasty in the end you know yeah um yeah. so always sort of comical character parts but it wasn't enough for me I just I'd get to the singing bit and think oh Christ it just didn't feel like my world it just I didn't feel at home there so the question that I really wanted to ask you is because when I was at drama school I it was when I first started thinking about coming out and first started telling a few people and I remember telling a teacher at my drama school that I was gay and she said tell people you're bisexual it'd be better for casting oh Christ Really? And I remember being very aware, yeah, for quite a long time. I was, when I was acting before I got into comedy, and I say acting, I was waitressing a lot. <laughs> um, I was I was doing a lot of that. Very, very good waitress, could have gone pro. <laughs> and um, I remember thinking, oh God, I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to come out. The person I always referenced was Portia de Rossi. I was like, she went out of Ellen, her career stopped. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Were you, were you worried about, well, first of all, did you had you come out? When did you come out to sort of like your friends and your family? So I met my first girlfriend at drama school. It was like in the final year, and mm-hmm. it sort of come out of nowhere. Really, we'd you know as you do at drama school in different classes, different sets, and then finally got to work with Sophie, who I was my first girlfriend, mm-hmm. and we just fell in love. And um, it, I always thought in my head, I, I won't come out until I fall in love. Right, and I was quite prepared for some time to never come out. I think if you'd have given me a pill that could have made me straight, I would have taken it because Mm -hmm. I was so terrified of being gay. I was terrified of ending up alone. That's what I associated with being gay, being alone, because most of my life I'd just been alone with my thoughts and going, stop it, stop it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, it wasn't until I fell in love that I, I, I came out. And did you, have you always been sort of out, for want of a better word? Yeah, from the minute I come out, that was it. That was it. Yeah. You know, I have the odd, like if I go to a hairdresser's, I ain't going to lie, like and someone (laughs) says to me, oh, are you married? I just go, no. I don't really go into it. I don't, I always feel like there's, it's always constant comings out, isn't it? Like you start a new job and go, I always get asked this. So have you got a boyfriend, Laura? Because people just assume I'm straight because I've Mm. got long hair or whatever. I don't know why they assume I'm straight. Um, But like, I just feel like we should just start rephrasing it and just ask if you've got a bloody partner because then every time I go, oh, um, I've actually got um, a girlfriend, they go, oh, right, right. And then they try to, no one means any harm by it, but it's just constantly like, oh, here goes the awkward conversation and it's done and dusted within 30 seconds. But there's still that moment you think, oh, like, really? And do you feel like you have to do that at the start of it? Because that's the thing about being an actor is that you're constantly starting different jobs. Right, like you, yeah. you'll be on a job for a bit, yeah. and then you'll have some auditions, and then you'll get one of them, and then you're on that job for a bit. So is that? I guess because I'm so out, because I come out ev- like literally. If you Google me, it's like guy, guy, she's guy, she's guy, she's guy. <laughs> like it's so like, like I, I've got like t- pictures in rainbows. I'm like, let's just lean right into this. Yeah, I don't go out of my way to to stay in. I'm very out. My girlfriend's on my social media, and yeah, I noticed that, but um. I I guess it's weird, isn't it? People don't really know much about me because I'm I'm not having to stand on stage like you are and and discuss your life. You have to do that. That's your life. That's you know. Um, but I yeah, I think 
I used to have a real problem with telling people. I'd actually sometimes on some jobs I have in the past, a long, long time ago now, just pretended, oh, no, I'm single. Because I was just, but that's my issue, you know, just being a bit older. I just had such an issue with being gay and so conditioned to think that everybody thought being gay was odd. And what do you think that came from? Was that just school or the fact that there was only that one gay guy at a family party who... (laughs) Yeah, I think um, it's nobody's fault, but I just think you grow up, you hear things and you and people comment and... You know, when I came out, my parents are amazing. My stepdad was incredible. And I actually thought he might be a bit harder because he'd been in the army, he's had this life, you know. He was incredible. Um, and, and my mum my mum found it tough, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, when I came out, Will and Grace was on in the background and it, it sort of made us all laugh. <laughs> and my mum was like, oh, the irony. Um, and uh, But I remember my mum just said, I just want the easiest life for you and I know this isn't going to be. Um, but they always knew when I came out, they said, we, we knew my mum said, oh, you could never hold down a boyfriend. Um, and they, they, they knew though for ages, but, um, they wanted it to come from me and they were kind about it. And it took a while for me to bring my first girlfriend home. But once Mm -hmm. that was done, it was like, that's it. Like, I mean, I don't think my, my family, my niece, this is how much, so my niece, when I was playing this part, uh, years ago, I had to kiss this guy. And um, she was just watching a rerun of it. And um, she was only about six or seven at the time. And she grabbed my girlfriend at the time and said, have you seen this? This is awful. <laughs> Laura's kissing a boy. How do you feel about that? And then she went, oh, Laura, you're kissing a boy. And I just loved that she was grossed out by that. Yeah. That she, oh God, youngsters now, like, particularly like when I talk to my nieces and nephews, like, they just like, yeah, what, what? They're not bothered. It's like, oh, yeah, that, yeah, she, yeah, she's sort of going out with a girl now. Yeah, it's cool. Like, you know, it's like they're so, oh, gosh, I just wish I grew up in that time because I just spent so long hiding it all the time. And even with my first girlfriend, she wasn't, I mean, she was really straight and she ended up um, leaving me for a guy. Um, and we spent a lot of the time sort of not really out. Our friends at drama school knew and our family, our immediate family knew, but we didn't sort of walk down the street holding hands. Or So I spent my first relationship sort of feeling a bit ashamed of it because she felt yeah. ashamed and wasn't comfortable with it. So it's okay. I think that's the thing as well. I think shame breeds more shame. For sure, for sure. I, I, I had a similar thing where we were hiding our relationship and I just think – in the long run, it made it so much worse because yeah. we were both like, don't let anyone know. Don't let anyone know because we were just, yeah, we just couldn't cope with it. And I really relate to that feeling you were saying before about that, like not in the pit of your stomach yeah. where you're going, I don't want this. Yeah, Why do I have to deal with it? Mm-hmm. And just yeah. like you said, going back to that shame thing, I've, I think I've only really in the last maybe five or six years – lost that shame it's um it's something that's stuck with me you know when I was growing up I just felt just felt like it was dirty and and shameful and didn't want to be that so I spent so long fighting it you know people talk about oh come on come out it's 2020 already it's like that it depends what that individual is going through what they're facing like it's not just about will everyone else be cool it's will you be okay too are you okay with this And I think that's something we often don't talk about because I think the internalized homophobia that I know I had, I remember, I remember like getting up in the middle of the night and being physically sick because I couldn't deal with it. 
and just hated that part of me and just just couldn't deal with it. And I think that that's just that in you're absolutely right. And I don't think anyone said that on the podcast before that we do constantly say, you know, oh, it's fine now. It's fine. now. But if it doesn't feel fine for you, then it's still really hard. And and people sort of, I think, romanticise and think, well, it should, but you should be fine with it. And it's like, oh, oh God, I'm so fine with it. I've never changed my life for anything. I love being a lesbian. I love women so much. And I, I, I just would not, like, I can't bear that I ever thought that, but I did. And, you know, I have to be honest in saying that, that I, I, I grew up thinking, well, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm just not going to be gay. But it got mm. to the point where I was forcing myself to sleep with men and I had physical reactions to it and I was sick and um it was it just got to the point where I just couldn't hide anymore and yeah it makes me sad but I that's my journey I can't it wasn't because my parents were I didn't grow up in a homophobic household I just grew up in a house I'd hear things not just from them from other family members but I just I sort of created this narrative in my head that everyone thought it was gross. Being gay, even now sometimes you find it in lazy writing, yeah. that, that it's quite often that a lesbian will be the punchline. Oh, definitely. And I, I'd hear all sorts of things. You know, you, you, know, you scroll up and your, your, your mum or your dad would go, oh, I think that lady down the road, the lesbian, she's got flat shoes <laughs> in it, you know. And it's, <laughs> you know, the lady <laughs> with the flat shoes. And you grow up hearing those things. So then what I did was the opposite. Well, I definitely won't wear flat shoes. I won't cut my hair short. Yeah. Um, but my, my family, have been amazing and they they learn and they've learnt and it's just just different times now isn't it and it's mad to think that I felt like that really but going back to like when we grew up do you remember Binny and Della on EastEnders do you remember those characters no I don't they were lesbian characters on EastEnders like in the 90s they might have come just after like the Brookside storyline I can't totally remember but I remember being obsessed with it and one of them, either Binny or Della, I can't remember which one, was a bit more in the closet. She didn't want to come out. And the other one really wanted to come out. But then everyone on the, I just remember everyone on the square being really rude about them and gossiping about them. And they sort of got forced out the square. And I was thinking about that last night, because obviously coming on this podcast, I was thinking about that storyline, thinking you watch those things as a kid and it goes in. You don't, it doesn't register. Yeah, for sure. But it goes in. And you think, oh, look at those people that they ended up in Ibiza, I think, Binny and Della. Um, so it's not all bad. <laughs> That's not all bad. They're having a lovely time. I hope they're still together. Um, but yeah, I, I just those little things go in. And like with Ellen, when Ellen came out, mm. and then she got, and then she lost her show, and she that was her career over. And it was like things like that just go in, don't they? And you just I think so, yeah. And I remember the, the Ellen being like, obviously, I'm a stand up and I love comedy, and so I've I really love her work. And she just sort of, I, I, you, you know, she just was the probably one of the biggest names in American television and then Mm -hmm. literally overnight she lost her show and lost everything uh, everything and just was you know and and it was completely fair game for the press to go after her over coming out and and loads of people thought she should have just kept it to herself and then what does that do to a you know a 16 year old in Hounslow you go don't come out because people will blame you if they don't like it that's it that's it I I always felt like um yeah, I just felt like I didn't want to be a problem to my family. That's how it felt. It felt like a problem, really. I wish as a teenager I knew that someone like you existed. It would have given me such hope to think there was an actress that was working, that had a happy life with a woman and worked and had loads of fun and was in the industry. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I'm sure there were tons, but 
which is not enough them. to come out. Yeah, yeah, because going back to that, don't come out because you might get cast just as a lesbian. I have played a lot of roles that are they're either lesbians or there's definitely their sexuality is questionable. Um, and really, when I, I I met Tom Davis and James DeFrond and they cast me in King Gary, was I really allowed to explore that more feminine side of me? Because I just mm. thought maybe that's all I can do. Because I was getting cast a lot just as that sort of, you know, straight talking. You know, yeah. Lesbian, you know. And uh, and I do, I do it well. I love yes. doing that character. But I've done it to death now. And um, getting to do Terry King on King Gary, I was like, oh, wow, I'm actually being allowed to play a married woman in a yeah. BBC One time sitcom. This is all right because I'd yeah. never, I never imagined that would happen. And when Tom came to me and said, "I, I, I want to write, I want to write a sitcom," I just imagine you and me laying in bed being this old married couple. And I was like, "Oh wow!" I just never saw that for myself, or never allowed myself to see that because I just thought, "Well, maybe this is it. People just see me as this one character." It makes so much sense because like, I know Big Tom Deef. We did open spot things stand-up clubs together like 10 years ago yeah so I, I know him from way back then and it, it makes perfect sense the two of you on screen together <laughs> it's it's really sweet I really like it I really like you as a pairing yeah they you know like I I used to really not I, I didn't get on well with guys I don't know how you felt like in my 20s I just find I found them uninteresting mm. and um, they just yeah I just found them a bit silly really and just not my vibe I didn't hate men never hated men but I I I sort of, I think when I finally came out and I was happy with my sexuality, that's when I really started getting on with men and appreciating them. Um, and meeting Tom and um, and James, who's his co-writer and our director on King Gary, I just also meeting some working class people that understood me mm. and loved strong women. Yes. Um, and that's the thing, you know, it's like I'm good at playing strong women, those gritty strong women, because any working class woman as you'll know they're strong they're gritty and yeah they've got mostly, through it yeah and and I I liked that they appreciate that and they never once and that you know Tom's always known about me being gay he's he never once even questioned oh could you do that like yeah but I've, I, it's me it's you know what I think other people might think oh can she do it can she be feminine can she wear a heel I can't actually wear a heel <laughs> but <laughs> No one on the podcast is going to tell anyone. Guys, keep no, to yourself. Thank <laughs> you. I last about half an hour and a heel and that, that's it. I'm glad to talking to you, mate. Thanks so much. Like, we don't actually know each other, but I do feel like we're friends. And that feels we like a strange thing We've to say. We've got so many mutual friends. We've it got seems lots silly of mutual to. friends. So let's um, definitely uh, go for a coffee. Let's go for a walk in southeast London sometime soon. I live here too. I do. Um, you? Yeah, I do. So let's organise that. But before you go, I think this is the first, this is the podcast that I've done where we are so our, our lives have been quite similar in as much as going to like our dancing schools and then going to drama school and then yeah sort of comedy and, and all that sort of thing and so it's I, I know that I would have been so inspired to hear about someone like you you know sticking in there getting your first job when you're 32 and then like really smashing it and keeping working and be able to be sort of an authentic version of yourself at home and being able to be several people on stage or tv um, the, the question that I ask everyone at the end of the show is if you could go back to, and it doesn't need to be you specifically, it can be some girl that's a version, that's just like you, who's who's living now, say, and she's 
like you were before you went to the Brit school, you had that knot in your stomach, you it sort of made you feel sick, you didn't know how you felt about it. What advice would you give to her about what's to come in life? Firstly, I'd say it's okay and try not to be scared or ashamed of who you are. Um, you'll, you'll find your people, you will, and everything you may currently hate about yourself will be probably all the things that you love about yourself in the future. If I was talking to myself, I might say, I know you're frightened of ending up alone, but, oh, you're going to love so many people and you're going to love so hard, probably too hard, um, and you'll be loved back. And, oh, gosh, there's just so many good times ahead. And just, you know, keep keep on going, girl, you know. Oh, and also maybe... Sh- Stay away from a straight girl called Sophie. (laughs) Break your heart into a million pieces and you'll have therapy about it 17 years later. (laughs) Good to know. That was perfect, mate. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's been it's been lovely. It's sort of weirdly therapeutic talking to you because it's so similar to me. Yeah, it's yeah, just um that was brilliant. Oh, Laura's um, message to her 14-year-old self or someone in a similar position really got me. It really, really got me. And um, I wish I, I wish 14-year-old me could have known that. Thanks again to Laura. Thank you to you for listening to the show. If you want to get in touch with me, you know how. Um, have a great week. And I'll be here next week with a brand new episode. Take care.